Hello, and welcome to another episode of CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, Executive Director of CIO Programs here at IDG, and I have the privilege today to be talking with Sri Lakshmi, Sri Lakshmi Kohli, who is the Senior Vice President of Global IT for Align Technology Incorporated. Align is a company dedicated to delivering a beautiful smile, which is all the more noticeable in today's era of the selfie. This is a $1.7 billion California-based company, which makes and markets the Invisalign uh, system of orthodontics. They also do digital scanning systems that are used by dentists around the world. Sri is a 15-year con company veteran. She's responsible for defining the technology strategy and leading all of the global consumer and enterprise and customer applications, as well as the infrastructure. Sri also runs their global program management office at Align, and she manages and executes the company's product portfolio and all of its cross-functional business programs. Most recently, she was leading the two-year global business transformation efforts at the company, which we will be talking a bit more about. Before she came to Align in 2003, Sri held technical lead positions at Sword, CT Space, and Accenture. She's also a member of the Executive Advisory Board at Salesforce.com. Sri, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Mary Fran. I'm excited to be part of this conversation. Great. Me too. I always have such a great time talking to CIOs. Oh, and I wanted to also remind our friends out who are watching this live on Twitter, we openly welcome questions from you. So if you have any interest in a follow-up question to something I'm talking to Sri about, or you just want to join the conversation, tweet on in and we will get your question uh, put to this wonderful CIO. Let's start out... Um, talking a little bit more about the size and the scope of Align's business and its, its relatively dominant position in the market. Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, as of June, we had over 10,000 plus employees. Mm -hmm. We have about 140,000 plus doctors that are certified Invisalign providers. We have uh, shipped to over 5.8 million patients from 100 plus countries around the world. Uh -huh. So we're really global in scale. Yeah. And uh, we manufacture about 330,000 plus unique personalized aligners per day. Wow. Well, and it's it's such a it's such a big business. There must be a lot of uh, technology initiatives that are tied into this because so much of the business is inherently digital these days. Uh, talk a little bit more about that aspect. Right. You know, we look at how um, that we're transforming a whole industry to go from conventional analog approaches to digital. Okay. And Align, you know, at Align, we have a great opportunity to be in the middle of all that stuff, you know, whether we are digitally driven restorations you know, delivering great treatment outcomes with digital technologies, you know, intraoral scanners, visualization tools that help the doctors and the patients visualize what the treatment outcomes could look like, patient engagement platforms in ways the doctors have never imagined possible, social communication, and the way they can market their practices. So it's a really exciting time to be at a line where all of this is so dependent on technology and the market opportunity is limitless in how we can make orthodontics available to the masses. 
Well, that's that's the part that I think is so fascinating, especially to anyone who's been a parent of a child going through the the whole process of getting braces, or if it's someone who, as they themselves were in their 20s and 30s and decided they finally wanted to do something to fix something about their particular smile, it it seems almost uh, uh, it it seems so space age. The idea that you could be doing some of these procedures using an app and you know using scanners that go over mobile phones. How, how much has the technology changed to enable this in just the last five years? Um, I think initially, for a long period of time, we spent a lot of time making sure that the clinical outcomes mm-hmm. were, were good for with, uh, with plastic moving teeth. Mm-hmm. And that digitization and the digital approaches and making sure that the doctors were comfortable in delivering a great treatment and a good outcome for the patients in whether it's adults or teens, uh, we spent a lot of time perfecting that. Mm-hmm. And in the last five years, um, the business models have changed. Lots of consumers are opting in. The phone has become ubiquitous in our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And the question is how we can we deliver the kind of treatments and how can patients track their progress against you know what they visually saw in the treatment um, in the doctor's office or all things that have changed in the last five years like even how social has changed how a doctor's practice and how a doctor markets their efforts have taken center stage. Yes. And the opportunity for them to deal and engage with their patients where, you know, you could do it over the phone. You could, um, you don't have to come into a doctor's office to actually um, look at how a treatment is progressing or to appreciate how a doctor, uh, by going and clicking on a social media, they're all, they're all, um, highly relevant in the last five years, mm-hmm. mobile, social, all of that has changed the dynamic. Well, it sounds like in the world of orthodontia and dentistry, it sounds like that particular part of the healthcare industry is a lot further ahead than we are with other parts of the healthcare industry, with medical doctors and their practices. Does it just seem that way from your perspective, or is that, are the dentists actually striding ahead with all these technologies? I mean, I think they they understand the opportunity of what digitization can do to okay. their own practice. Mm-hmm. And when you look at conventional analog approaches, you know, lots of manual labor and the amount of time they spend in delivering the treatment. I mean, this millennial generation is like, I want something now. I want something fast. I want it from my couch. And the doctors are able to change how they deliver that treatment in response to how the consumers are seeking it. Yes. And, you know, like our Invisalign experience centers are places where you can go experience, you know, what an intraoral scanner can do. You know, you no longer have to go to a doctor's office and put that bubble gum on your mouth and scoop <laughs> it and, you know, you send it to a lab for a root canal or a crown. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's all 3D visual. You know, you can sit in your chair at a doctor's practice and look at how your teeth can progress you know, from now and, you know, what a time lapse um, mm-hmm. can do to how your teeth would move and what kind of um, uh, procedures you can do now to prevent some of the bad stuff from happening. Yes. Those are all things that, you know, from a dentist's perspective is, is very um, attractive because uh, they're able to do and predict things with digital that they were never allowed or they were never able to do in their prior lives yeah. with analog. 
Well, and I want to get into talking about some of the technologies that you're enabling to make this happen. But before we do that, I wanted to chat a little bit about the global expansion that Align has been going through. You had mentioned to me that... Um, hmm. Hold on one second, Mary Fran. I think my audio got cut off. Oh, I can hear you. Are we... Can you hear me again? Hello. Hello. I can hear you fine. Oh, we had a little, little it's okay. It happens to every every CIO and, and every uh, tech leader at one point or another. Are you back? Think, you know, it's funny because I think the power, my power goes off after a few hours of, or a few minutes of non-movement. Oh, it's an right. energy saving thing. And so my laptop shuts down or my monitor shuts down. So it's all coming back up. So well, sorry about it. I'll have to ask you more questions that make you jumpy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I wanted to get into talking about your global expansion because uh, you yeah. mentioned that one of the things you've been doing, and I think this was all part of that business transformation initiative, was getting tech backbones, providing consumer and customer engagement. You've had a lot going on in IT over the last few years. So talk about it uh, to start with about the global expansion and what kind of challenges that gave you uh, for the, that gave the IT organization. Right. Um, so first thing was, you know, when it came into tech, when it came to talent, mm -hmm. we had to figure out what remained central versus what remained regional. Okay. And, you know, you can't sit miles, thousands of miles away and assume that you know what a doctor in Europe or, or Asia wants mm -hmm. and how they service their patients and their consumers and uh, and also what the different go-to-market models existed. Um, it was what works in the Americas most usually does not work in the rest of the world. Okay. So the first choice that we had to make from an org structure perspective is how much to centralize and regionalize. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we also had to think about a lot deeply is about technology platforms. You know, China is a different uh, country by itself. You know, where the tools and technologies they use and what's available inside the firewall uh, the digital firewall is very different from what's available in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So we also had to deeply think about our technology infrastructure and say, you know, moving to the cloud was given. You know, just in terms of the performance that we had to drive, mm -hmm. you know, considering the number of doctors and the number of patients and the number of aligners we manufacture in a day, we couldn't have a centralized infrastructure somewhere in the world. Mm -hmm. So um, that was given. And also when we looked at, um, platforms that allowed patient engagement, the data architecture where no matter where in the world you were, you had this, a similar set of data that you could collect and, and, uh, uh, and drive engagement with a set of algorithms. Mm -hmm. That does not change in the world. So we wanted to come or we wanted to build out a common data infrastructure. And all of that was part of the two-year transformation effort we laid out. Um, you know, when you look at enterprise systems, you know, you, we did want a centralized global technology ERP platform, mm -hmm. but we wanted to be able to regionalize the different kinds of, you know, billing and payments. You know, even though we are sort of a B2B uh, working with the doctors, the volume of transactions is almost like a B2C in, yes. in order of millions. Mm -hmm. So we somehow had to straddle between the two and also look at where we can get global scale rapidly, which was really important to us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it was through standardization of our non-differentiating, you know, business processes 
or trying to understand what is our core differentiator and allowing the regional teams to be able to configure and go as fast as they wanted, the commercial teams wanted, was very important guideline yeah. to us. Was the majority of this done essentially working with various cloud partners and on cloud platforms, or were there pieces of it that you ha you developed in-house? Um, it's a mix of both. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we have, like I said, China is a beast by different country by itself, and hence, you know, like we had to come up with a different cloud platform. We use Alioune for now. Uh, we have AWS in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, we are on Office 365, which means we are tied to the Azure platform. Uh, we use Power BI as a visualization tool, which works really well with Azure. Uh, but all our clinical data and the algorithms that we run on, you know, the machine learning algorithms that we run to deliver predictable outcomes are all on AWS. So we're sort of a multi-cloud hybrid platforms. Mm -hmm. And we also try to invest in platforms like Salesforce, and you know, we look at SAP on HANA, you know, at some point in the cloud. Um, that that, and then we all our websites and our core differentiating processes are built in house on these platforms, so that we get the agility we need to to really differentiate ourselves from the rest of the competition. Yes, was there something you mentioned? You you do a lot of it on centralizing globally, but then you have to have regional aspects of it. Was was that a more challenging part of the rollout, figuring out exactly what you needed to do regionally versus globally? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't say that we have perfected that in the last uh, three years. You know, we've been in this journey for some time. Mm -hmm. You know, some regions are more, are, are further along than others. Um, the, I think hard, the hardest part has been really the governance around um, how programs can run as fast as they can. Mm -hmm. You know, which programs, you know, because uh, we are still evolving uh, our go-to-market strategies around the world. Yeah. And what I would personally like to do is that if something works in Europe, we want to make sure it works, that we can actually scale it to the Americas and Asia. Mm -hmm. and, and so what happens is, even though you're coming up with a regional solution, uh, you want to make sure that there is some global element of scalability to it. Right. Only because you you want to sort of rinse and repeat as much as possible, but also allow for experimentation. Yes. So a lot of challenge actually has been in in sort of the governance processes around solution design, around sprints, around how we set up um, delivery mechanisms. You know, like for us, DevOps is a, is highly integral mm -hmm. into this transformation. And so when you look at continuous integration and continuous delivery uh, or continuous deployment practices. You're, you're constantly thinking about how do I take any platform, you know, web development, mobile development, mm -hmm. um, Salesforce, SAP, like any platform or um, homegrown technology tools we have. It's like what can regions change? What is still in global control? And then you put security and compliance on top of it. Like it takes on a whole new level of um, governance structures that you have to put in place and still allow for regional speed and experimentation. Yes. Well, it's interesting you bring up governance too, because I, I don't tend to think of governance as something that gets associated with speed in the business. I tend to think of governance oh. as, as something that is more, you know, like meetings, almost like board of directors determining how the resources are going to get used. So to hear governance referred to in a speed and time to market fashion is a little different. Yeah. No, we, we, so for us, governance doesn't mean that we're going to throw a bunch of processes and, you know, make things, you know, slow down things. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we continuously try to figure out, okay, what programs are just keeping the lights on? 
you know, if you're going to keep the lights on, you're just going to go as fast as you can. Yeah. You know, you can deploy every day if you want it or every week. And then there are lots of programs associated with growth. Mm-hmm. You know, that's sort of the middle bucket where you're sort of trying to make sure that there is agility in it. Mm-hmm. But then because of, like I said, I have a personal interest in making sure that solutions that work in one part of the world can be tried in other areas. And so there is some, um, there's some structural element about how you use your platforms or global technology platforms to drive that. And so that's where we have the, we have, um, the, the biggest friction around, you know, oh, this is a regional program. You know, I don't have to explain to global about what we are doing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be spending all my team in global meetings, educating the global teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's some, something that I can do regionally. But I think we've gotten over the fact, especially as we, as we have shown credibility in how we take a regional program and expand it globally. Mm-hmm. We've shown the benefits of doing that. And then transformation programs on the other end are, are big investments where we're constantly refactoring and replatforming. And those go through more like a, you know, I like to call it an agile fall model. It's sort of agility, but sort of waterfall that still goes through your security boards, your architecture yes. review boards. And, and they tend to be a lot more longer term, uh, but very important because I do believe that they are the ones that put the foundation to allow the growth programs to to rapidly scale as fast as it can. I see. I've been hearing more about that late. I've heard some CIOs call it Wagile, where it's a combination oh. of waterfall and agile. <laughs> I like yeah. agile fall. That's that's another yeah. another way to look at it. Let's talk also about and behind all of this, all of these platforms, they are delivering an enormous amount of data. And you and I have talked before about how important it's been to you to democratize data science yeah. across a line. Um, that the idea that everybody can have their own analytics working. So tell me how yeah. you how you think about that and the sort of challenges you've had in making it more of a reality. Kind of give, right. give me a picture of how you conceived that and got it to a point where there's satisfaction with the data analytics that are available. Right. You know, if you think global and regional is one layer, uh, this whole data democratization around the business functions yeah. um, is about, you know, like I, I, I truly believe that, you know, algorithms and predictive modeling and data science is not central and it's not limited to a central technology function. Mm-hmm. So what I keep challenging my teams is to figure out how you can create common data structures. Okay. You know, what's important is to maintain data integrity and quality. And that's centralized with an IT. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the stuff about how the business uses the data, those algorithm specialists needs to be within the functions because um, they are the ones who are making it actionable day to day. You know, when we began, when we started in the beginning, it used to be that data science was all within IT. And, you know, when we gave ideas to say a sales or a marketing or an R&D or a product development team, it was more like, yeah, we hear you, we get it, but it was, ne- it was never made actionable. Mm-hmm. And it was also the credibility around not being in the operational part of those functions to really understand how the data can be you know, relevant to them. Mm-hmm. And now in the last two years, since we have worked with the functions to create their own um, data science teams, mm-hmm. so it's not like they're all hiring mathematicians and you know, statisticians and all that. Yeah, that, that function still is within IT. Mm-hmm. But how you make it actionable and how you can 
you can sort of um, make it make it uh, you know relevant to someone in a meaningful manner for them to do their jobs mm-hmm. uh, has made a lot of progress, and we see a lot of success across different functions. And you know, like when one function catches on, you know, the rest of the rest of the business is like, oh, I want that Power BI tool, yeah. or you know, and then we are just focused on figuring out how you know we maintain the integrity, quality, security. And how we can put governance around analytics, which is our new learning this year. Yeah. That you know, when you're using statistical tools, you want the predictability of those tools and the models that the rest the teams come up with. You know, whether finance comes up with a predictive model or sales comes up with a predictive model, they are, you know, within a, a good amount of uh, percentage of accuracy that is reliable. Yeah. So we have just started putting together an analytics governance team. Which oh, is like from a data governance team, mm-hmm. and I, I hope to make a lot of progress in that part next year. Well, I've heard other CIOs refer to that as putting, essentially, IT being there to keep the guardrails in place, so that yes. as the data becomes more democratized, you don't give people too much power to hurt themselves or their business right, efforts. Right, right, right. Um, because you know, at the end yeah. of the day, consistency is equally important to driving that credibility. Yes. And, you know, like no matter what kind of modeling statistical tools you use, you want to arrive at a decent result that is almost same no matter who runs it and how they do it. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more. I I remember over the last couple of years, whenever we, you know, I I run different CIO events during the year. And whenever I ask my advisors um, about topics that we should be talking about, predictive modeling and predictive analytics often comes up. What kind of progress have you made with predictive analytics? And can you give me an example of what that looks like to your customers or to your to your dentists or to the end user customers of the uh, uh, Invisalign products? Um, so the last few years, we have focused a lot on predictable tooth movements mm-hmm. that can deliver great outcomes. Uh, because that's what a doctor cares about. At the end of the day, that's what the patient cares about. Mm-hmm. You know, when you build visualization tools and you assume that a treatment is going to take a certain amount of time and your teeth is going to move in mm-hmm. a certain way, you know, can we use all of this 5.8 million plus digital dentist dentitions that we have mm-hmm. to to be able to predict what, you know, the next set of movements are going to look like and, you know, what, how you set up your treatments and how you build that into your treatment planning software. Um, and we've made a lot of strides in, in really delivering that sort of predictability. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are taking some of the learnings of that clinical predictability and modeling into business planning, sales mm-hmm. operations, you know, even in digital marketing, uh, patient conversions, you know, because we have a lot of interest in Invisalign. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how do we get the right patients or the right consumers to the right doctors with a similar treatment mindset, and they're able to convert the patient and get into Invisalign and and have a very successful outcome at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is all central to the companies, to the goals of getting more of those consumers. I think we talked about there's a consumer market out there, potentially 300 million people. Yeah. That's a pretty big number to be going after. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, and the only way we can go after that huge opportunity yes. is through digital tools. Yes. You know, yep. in your conventional analog approaches, there was no way that you could scale to be able to deliver an outcome that both the doctor and the consumer likes right. uh, with an analog approach. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think that's 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 really the exciting part of being at Align and being very central to that end-to-end digitization of that experience. All right, great. Well, and uh, there are a couple of other, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the customer journey week that you spent recently, but this also seems like a good place to talk about the uh, the competitive forces that are being unleashed in your market? Because it's not just a line is the biggest and the best known in your market, but there are many startups that are starting because this digital opportunity has occurred to other companies as well. Talk a little bit about kind of that disruption, the changing competitive landscape, and, and how you watch it and what are the trends about it that you're finding interesting. Right. You know, we stay paranoid, mm-hmm. uh, even <laughs> even with the first mover advantage that we have, uh, we are continuously thinking about, you know, how do we deliver the right solutions for our doctors? You know, the customer connect weeks, uh, mm-hmm. we do this on a regular basis is very important. Um, we, uh, like I personally go on lots of ride alongs um, at regular intervals, just watching the doctors, listening to them, um, because they also have a great perspective of what's happening around them, yeah. um, you know, and, and, you know, what kind of products are being introduced in their practices um, and in the industry as a whole that drive digitization. And, you know, uh, we would like to be central to all of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from from the from a leadership position that we have, we want to make sure that we continue to stay agile. We continue to keep looking out for what emerging technologies are out there that um, make the patient and doctor engagement better, that drive great outcomes, um, that drive the end-to-end digitization, and uh, what and what the rest of the competition is doing in terms of the different business models that are available. And we continue to work with the doctors to deliver that that just great treatments. Mm-hmm. Well, the I, I actually I was reading there was an article on Forbes.com about Align and that whole market in the Invisalign and all the competitors coming up. And there was a statement in there that clear aligners are actually right now just fifteen percent of the existing orthodontic appliances market. But that uh, essentially Align holds a lion share of that market. I, yeah. I expected it to be yeah. bigger. It sounds like this is something that you're still, there's still a lot of people taking a traditional approach to it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. that, this is your whole untapped market opportunity. That's you know, the 300 million. The 300 million mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you talk about the 300 million patients or consumers that are out there yeah. that want Invisalign, and so our challenge or our opportunity is trying to figure out how we connect them to the right doctors who can deliver great outcomes and deliver the smile that the consumers Mm -hmm. are looking for at the convenience and uh and that's where i think digital tools make a big difference in trying to tap into that that huge untapped market is that untapped market mostly younger people who are comfortable with all of these new technologies is this more of a play for millennials and the next generation than it is for gen xers and boomers um, I wouldn't quite say that because I think adults mm-hmm. are equally interested in having a great smile, like it transforms their lives. They also okay. have disposable income to be able to spend. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it really, truly makes a difference in, in how great the self-esteem is. And, you know, you're smiling in all the pictures. And mm-hmm. um, and so there's a large adult orthodontics market that we have that okay. is also on tap. That, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, like I think adults 
follow millennials in terms of the kind of tools, mm-hmm. you know, when computers came along and now phones came along and they're everywhere. Uh, okay. Just the mobile tools, you know, they might not be on social as much, mm-hmm. but the mobile tools are what you need to be able to um, get the convenience of the digital technologies or digital okay. tracking and frequent okay. options out there. Tell me how you enable all of this with the way you have IT organized. What is the size and the scope of your IT group, um, both in the U.S. and around the world? And how do you have the responsibilities divided up? Um, So I have a consumer and a customer team. Mm -hmm. uh, And that technology team is constantly looking at... Sorry, my power. I have to keep getting up and down, it looks like, every few minutes. Um, So I have a consumer and a customer team Mm -hmm. that is looking at um, front-facing technologies uh, that's built around more agile processes. And then I have a global enterprise team that is looking at platforms like identity management and ERP and manufacturing Mm -hmm. systems, where you want a lot of standardization around compliance, um, global, uh, you know, just the security uh, and, and, you know, like as data gets more democratized, mm-hmm. you know, things like GDPR come in and all the countries are coming up with their own data governance rules. So I don't know how long this whole enterprise platform strategy of staying central will hold, yeah. but I'll keep it as it is. But and the consumer teams are actually very spread out. So that's where the global and the regional comes in so that the regional teams can use global platforms for consumers and customers and scale and move as rapidly as possible. Okay. Um, so those are my two teams, and we have a global infrastructure team. Um, that's also, but uh, we have people in every country that are basically running a 24 by 7, you know, manufacturing operations, customer operations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the, the nature of the business model is such that we have to be up 24 by 7, 365 days, uh-huh. you know, because there is a doctor somewhere uh-huh. in some part of the world treating a patient and everything has to be on. Uh-huh. So um, even though we think that we have a global infrastructure team, it's basically spread out. The team is basically spread out around many different uh, parts of the world. And um, and so when we look at my org structure, we are continuously thinking about ways where, you know, the foundation principles around keeping it simple, mm-hmm. you know, allowing um, allowing regional teams to go to market as fast as they can, mm-hmm. um, allowing enterprise teams to stay as compliant as possible, and, and letting the infrastructure, you know, whether it's moving to the cloud or automation or, um, you know, as we hire and grow more, even onboarding and offboarding has taken on a life of its own around um, how fast we can get the employees to be productive. Day one, hour one, yeah. when they start and you want to have standard processes as much as possible in those areas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and the uh, let's circle back around to talk about the customer journey week. Uh, you and I were, uh, we had our event in um, Silicon Valley in July, and I was, I was trying to get you on to the stage to talk about Align, and, and instead we got your, your VP, one of your VPs came instead, but you were tied up with the customer journey week, and this was a very big deal. This involved 25 plus, 35 plus executives at the company. Um, I've I've heard about CIOs, of course, going out and spending time with the customers, but this seemed like a much bigger, more organized attempt to just get out there in the market. So tell me about that. Right. Um, We understand that, you know, delivering solutions to the customers, making sure that we can integrate with what they do with their practices um, is, and the more you go visit them, 
the more you learn yeah. about what's happening, um, you know, I cannot sit here. I can sort of visualize what happens in the practice, but it's nothing like being in the doctor's office, mm-hmm. hearing from them directly about how the technology shifts are impacting their practices in their industry. Um, and so we make I, we make a lot of attempt to make sure that we have many different forms of listening to them mm-hmm. and making sure that we integrate their voice into all of the products and the solutions we build. Okay. That's like given in, in our, it's, it's every day, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're listening to customer care calls, whether you're reviewing data to look for patterns around ease of use or on how they use their tools that we build out, what are the gaps and solutions that we have mm-hmm. in this end-to-end digitization journey? It, it's very helpful to, to watch them do that in their own practices hmm. and to come back to sort of the headquarters and, and figure out, um, you know, when you're designing solutions, how do you integrate that knowledge on a daily basis? Yeah. Well, when and uh, you'd mentioned that this do, this isn't just dropping in a dentist's office. You would actually groups of you would get together at the at certain times in the week to have almost town halls where you discuss customer feedback. Yeah, and 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 it, and you know like and we we and so the good thing is that we uh, we listen, we hear a lot of it, mm-hmm. we bring it back, we we take actions, we make it meaningful, and uh, and I'm, and the doctors appreciate it. And all our employees actually appreciate it. You know, they love the fact that our tools that they are building, you know, from an engineering perspective, yes. are being utilized so well or not. And, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, from an adoption perspective, you know, 100% adoption of everything that you build out is like nirvana for all engineering. Well, sure. And, and so, um, and so when you, when you, when you get that feedback directly from the doctors, uh, you know, good or bad, it, it's 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 very meaningful in what we do every day. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you mentioned too that I think it's with your consumer group you do a lot of work in an agile kind of fashion, yeah. and those agile project teams, uh, depending on how you have it set up, they usually have people from the business involved, and they require a certain amount of customer input up front. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like agile development and just the approaches to it have driven greater business collaboration for the IT organization, more so than any other process or technology that I've seen in a while. Yeah. Is that your feeling about it too? As business collaboration levels have they changed a lot because of yeah. the agile approaches? Right. You know, like if you look at all the emerging technologies that have come up, mm-hmm. you know, whether and all of those technologies, you know, like I would like to say that the the lines between the business and IT is blurring so fast because you mm-hmm. cannot be in sales or marketing or manufacturing and not understand the basics of what technology can provide. Yes. You know, when you're looking at, especially if you want to drive innovation, you want to know what technologies are out there that can drive the marketplace, that can even drive different business models. Um, especially when you have such untapped market potential out there. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for the technology uh, engineers as well, because there is no point of being a technologist without figuring out how that technology can enable the business to scale rapidly, again, to come up with maybe different kinds of data models. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, how data can influence different business models and different ways of how you engage with the doctors and how it will help the doctors engage with their patients mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. It's like, so if you sit in a meeting at a line, it's very hard to identify who's business, who's IT, because everybody's talking each other's language. And, and I think the way I have reached a point where 
it's like, you know, when you're setting up program teams or when you're coming mm-hmm. up with agile teams, um, it's about what skill sets do each bring to the table and yeah. is it complementary enough? You know, mm-hmm. I rarely look at whether, you know, what function are they from, you know. Mm-hmm. I want everybody to play their position, you know, but yes. eventually when you come up with a solution, it's very collaborative, it plays to their strengths, and you want to have people with different kinds of specialized skill sets, mm-hmm. but with sort of generalized thought process. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, I wanted to also ask you, the after this customer journey week and the visiting and all of that feedback, when you come back to the office and, you know, now it's the following week, what kind of impact does that have or did it have on your technology priorities? Do you come back from any of those journeys where you think, okay, we really need to do this differently or I need to launch a program around that? Was there any yeah. sort of definitive follow-up that you did? Right. You know, and I have done many of these kinds, mm-hmm. you know, in different formats and different versions. Sure. And and the first feeling that you get is this aha moment where some of the simplest uh some of the problems, some of the biggest problems that the doctors have, have the simplest solutions in technology. And it's always like, oh my God, like how come we didn't figure this out? Like, how yeah. did we, how did we not commercialize this better? How did we not build a solution that yes. integrates into their practice better? So you sort of feel like really like, oh, we could have done this better. Like you're, you're like, and then you sort of get into the practicality of, okay, so at least, you know, going forward, you're going to learn from, you know, it's not sort of mistakes, but sort of opportunities that exists around, yes. um, you know, how, you know, there's a, as you move from analog to digital, there's a lot of change management involved. You know, mm-hmm. doctors are adopting technologies at a different pace. Um, and, you know, when you're trying to, you, when you're trying to build solutions that are sort of, you know, same for everyone across, mm-hmm. um, you sort of, you know, you, you have to figure out, okay, is there a simplified version of this for, doctors who are um, non-tech savvy but trying to get there mm-hmm. are there is there a complexity or is it too simple for doctors who are tech savvy and you know what is that that middle ground is something that you think about the week after you come back you yeah. know after you've gotten over i can't believe that we didn't solve that problem yeah and how simple it is right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I used to, I remember years ago, I heard a, um, an expression about that the ultimate goal of marketing was to deliver to customers something they never knew they always wanted, and that that was the goal for marketing. I think increasingly today, that's the goal for IT, for yeah. technology uh, executives and leaders to essentially bring something to the table, and it might be something obvious, like a, a use of a messaging app in a particular business situation, but to bring that yeah. to t- the table from the difference of a technology viewpoint and say, right. well, here's something you may not have realized you needed, and by the way, we have it. And right. I, I, I think, you, know, you know. And you know, like from an IT perspective, it's like the best place to be, right? Like. Mm-hmm. You know, like I like to think that we are sort of a central nervous system because you have visibility into every aspect of the business. Yes. You know, whether it is consumers converting into patients at the doctor's offices, what kind of doctor um, tools that we can provide, clinical outcomes, engagement tools. Mm-hmm. And then you move the spectrum around finance, manufacturing, sales operations, I mean, you can go on and on about all of the different aspects that you have visibility to Mm -hmm. and the amount of data that you have 
that you can now inform the business about how they can make it actionable. Yeah. We are we we have like the the, the best seat at the table mm-hmm. to be able to inform the rest of the business executives who are very focused on running their portions of the business. Yes. And this cross-functional view, especially in the digitized world, is becoming extremely important. Mm-hmm. And, and IT is a great place to be. Yes. Oh, well, I could not agree more. I think that's absolutely true. But that uh, that whole notion that, you know, we're we're from we're here from IT and we're really here to help. I think I think that that actually has more traction now in a lot of businesses. Um, When we were talking about providing the global platforms that are very suitable for regional adapting, what are some of the lessons that that you learned along the way of that? One of the things you mentioned, of course, was the predictability for the clinical outcomes. Um, But I wondered in areas like 3D printing or uh, getting things going in production where IT is very involved, how, what are some of the learnings, I guess, you took away from that as you were setting that up? From a global governance perspective? Yes. Uh, you know, like, uh, like I said, from, from, from just the basics, so, so everything that you mentioned, for example, are all in the transformation bucket. Yes. You know, where you want some structure, you want some ROI for the investment you're making, you want to be sure that, you know, research is truly research, uh, technology feasibility, you know, you, you are able to get past um, some of the some of the disruptive technologies that you want to play in. Um, and then at some point, uh, you want that experimentation phase to be able to scale uh, as well. And mm-hmm. um, that's where some of the governance processes around global and regional customer inputs into how those technologies can be commercialized come into play. Okay. You know, so our marketing and product uh, product development functions um, take a take a look. So from from how the teams are set up, mm-hmm. a lot of regional customer input comes into the product definitions. Excellent. And it's the same thing around technology platforms. Mm-hmm. You know, I can I can build a WhatsApp solution that does not work in China. You know, I have to build an yeah. equivalent WeChat solution. Mm-hmm. You know, I can have an AWS solution that does not work in China. Mm-hmm. And different commerce platforms are prevalent in different areas of the world. Yes. Like you know, Latin America. Uh, is on a different commerce platform. Uh, you know, like the number one, twos, and threes are, I mean, Amazon is there everywhere. Mm-hmm. But how people pay, how insurance works is very different country to country. Yes. And hence, all your engagement tools that you have to build in or the products or the services that we build have to take into account all of those regional customer needs as well. Excellent. So the input phase is extremely important. The technology feasibility phase is also extremely important mm-hmm. in how we get feedback from the customers into building those. Okay. Well, and underlying all of this is, uh, especially in this digital transformation and the way you've been scaling around the world, there's a great deal of innovation work, of IT innovation. How do you, what is your your approach to supporting and encouraging innovation? Uh, it is just it, usually whenever I talk with CIOs, the three biggest topics of interest are leadership, innovation, and business strategy. And we've talked a lot about Align's business strategy. So let's uh, switch hats and talk about the CIO as the leader for the innovation effort. What, what is it you right. do to spark more of it? Um, you know, we like to think that innovation, you know, like, um, it's not an event. Like it's part of the everyday routine. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's where I aim to be on a daily basis. Yeah. 
So, you know, when you, you know, like we have our idea boards, we have our uh, hackathons, mm-hmm. you know, those, those are processes that continue. But I think for me, what's really important is, you know, day to day, you know, whether you're working on keep the lights on programs or growth programs or transformation, you know, from mm-hmm. the entire spectrum that when you're coming up with a solution, you know, there's always a desire for short term, you know, I want to test and learn and experiment. And so I'm going to put something together or I'm going to mm-hmm. hack something together. And then I'm the one I'm constantly asking, OK, how does this short term translate to medium term? You know, I'm still experimenting, but now I'm able to scale. Yeah. And and the kind of um, so that's where I would like to think that it's it's built into the DNA. It's It's been part of the company DNA, even on a broader aspect. Mm-hmm. And then in IT, it's just it's just daily routine. You know, yeah. I I. You know, all of my meetings with all of my teams, I'm always figuring out, okay, what's the one thing that they're going to do differently? If you're doing more of the mm-hmm. same, you know, we might be in a great spot today, but tomorrow I can guarantee it won't last. <laughs> so what, what, is, what are some of the things that you're going to do differently for tomorrow? Yep. So just asking those questions on a daily basis mm-hmm. in every meeting that you're in. Um, I think part of, like I said, the culture is such that that, um, the teams are also thinking about it, which is really good. Yes. Um, while while making sure that you know, uh, because we're sort of experimenting all the time about what works and what doesn't, mm-hmm. that we don't lose we don't lose that um, innovation in short term as well as medium term yeah. thinking. Well, that willingness to do some disruption. You know, yes. it, you have to be able to work it in. Well, you mentioned it, too. I think of it as the Valley Challenge. I mean, the fact that you're centered in San Jose and you're a 22-year-old company, which in Valley years makes you about 100 years old, right? right. <laughs> and you said you don't want to become a legacy company, that you want to stay ahead of what digital tech is doing, um, and that yeah. that means a lot of experimenting on product. Yes. Yeah. Yep. No, I mean, that's all true. And that's why I said, like, we don't want to think of it as an event. You know, like, you know, we'll, we'll do hackathons, we'll, we'll collect all the ideas that are coming in. But day to day decision making around how we build solutions mm-hmm. drives innovation. OK. Now, I know you do a lot of thinking out a few years because you've got we, we talked about this. You've got lots of people that on your senior leadership team who are taking care of the day to day, the month to month, even the next year or two. And that you like to think two to four to five years out. Yeah. How do you fuel that part of your mind? How do you keep yourself kind of on that leading edge while, of course, still having to do your day job? Right. Um, you know, like, uh, I, I think being in the Silicon Valley has its advantage in that respect. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're running into venture capitalists all the time. You want to understand, like, I try to understand what technologies they're investing in, um, you know, which, and then you also have a whole bunch of innovative CIOs, all of them uh, trying to crack this digitization, digital market opportunities, you know, the different kinds of business models and services that they can um, enable their own companies to get into. And, you know, like our, our conversations in that space are always very entertaining, yeah. And, you know, we all are very opinionated, to say the least. Mm-hmm. We all place the bets on technologies that we think are going to be successful. Uh, while I wouldn't say that we're sort of bleeding edge, we want to be cutting edge in a few areas that really enable a line. Like I said, in a few mm-hmm. areas where, you know, we can deliver predictable, high quality clinical outcomes, how we allow um, doctors and patients to engage with each other in really meaningful ways. Uh, that help both of them get to the treatment that they desire. 
Okay. Um, how do we take this untapped market opportunity that is there around the world and, and get the smiles that they want? Mm-hmm. Um, and that transformation um, needs a lot of newer thinking. You know, sometimes it's also not even the newer technologies that make a difference. Technology hardly has a role as much as, you know, how do I build digital discipline into the architecture? You know, every dollar that I spend on a daily basis, I'm asking, okay, how does this further our own digitalization along, you know, align as a company and then dentistry as an, you know, as an industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that part of that sort of thinking uh, is also equally important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I think uh, technology, you know, if you, if you just look at these, you know, the visualization technologies play a very important role for us. The scanning technologies have played an important role for us. Mm-hmm. Data science is playing a very important role. Um, and then just that that's where, you know, like listening to your peers out here, listening to VCs around investments, mm-hmm. listening to where security and compliance um, uh, regulations are working around the world, mm-hmm. you know, how governments are thinking and how technology can actually help us scale uh, and meet the compliance needs. Uh, all of those things come from just, just looking outward. Right. Well, I remember when we talked about this originally, I was assuming that for a business like Align, 3D printing would be a huge deal for Align. But from what you told me, a lot of it is not um, it's it's not enterprise ready, essentially, in terms of delivering those predictable outcomes. It's, it's not a huge part of what you're doing in the manufacturing process. Um, so we, we, we are investing a lot of it in research okay. and scalability right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's part of the manufacturing engineering process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we, we want to be leaders in 3D printing. In fact, you know, when we talk about manufacturing 330,000 plus unique aligners a day, yeah. you know, it's a form of 3D printing. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. and uh, we see a lot of opportunity in how we can scale that digitally as well. And... Uh, there's a lot of effort inside the company to be leaders at that. Yeah. And do do the offices you visit when you go to dentists, do many of them have 3D printers already? Are they interested in this area of technology or do they look at you like they don't know what you're talking about? No, they are, they are very interested. In fact, mm-hmm. I think almost all of them believe that it's transformative to their practices. Okay. Okay. Um, and so from our perspective, from, from for the opportunity of, from an aligned perspective is, we are already leaders in making custom personalized aligners, mm-hmm. and we want to stay ahead. And the doctors are looking to us to lead the way. So it's a great place to be. Okay. Well, and we you had mentioned data science. Everyone's always interested in the data aspects. And I wanted to ask a little bit more about uh, machine learning and the AI aspects. What parts of your IT organization are most deeply into that right now? What sort of things are uh, are you able to do because of machine learning? Uh, so we invested a lot of it around clinical outcomes, okay. which was which was a great area that all stakeholders, doctors, consumers align, you know, we're all interested in developing really high quality uh, outcomes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we like to buy technology platforms that Today, you know, whether you look at Salesforce, SAP, you know, even the enterprise platforms are all building AI and machine learning in, and data science into their tool sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are constantly looking for ways about how we take 
um, the learnings that we have had from our own experience around driving predictable outcomes into the business operation side um, around sales and marketing, around this big, large, untapped market opportunity, mm-hmm. how we are able to convert and engage the consumers um, and go to the doctors asking for Invisalign and get the treatment that they need. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's all the areas where we want to use machine learning and predictive modeling. Okay. And are there other um, cutting-edge or leading-edge technologies that you're particularly interested or watching closely? Uh, blockchain, for instance. Just about every industry seems to have some sort of experimentation going on with blockchain. Right. So we are watching it very closely. Mm-hmm. We know for um, that, you know, just from a records perspective, the digital records have a very high uh, propensity towards being blockchained. Yeah. Um, and and I think the opportunity where um, you can come up with a and it also offers the patient an opportunity mm-hmm. to have their records security. You know, like they own. You know, if it's a private blockchain. Um, they, they can manage their own um, privacy mm-hmm. of their records. And when you stitch all of these these blocks of records together, you know, whether it is, um, you know, you, you're, you're scanning every time you come into your daily practice to your financial information around insurance and uh, the kind of treatments you, you have had in the past, I think there is a great opportunity for the doctors to stitch all of the blocks together to come up with, um, you know, what's working for the patient, what works for their dentition, and how they can set up their future treatments even better. Mm-hmm. So okay. we're watching it, um, and, you know, we'll watch it very closely. Mm-hmm. Like I said, because, you know, we want to be innovators of of, uh, of all the digitization of dentistry as a whole. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good area for us to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Is robotics another area that you watch with any particular interest? Um, it has always been part of us, especially for the scale of manufacturing that we need okay. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always been part of the manufacturing engineering DNA. Um, so the part that I'm interested in is, you know, what I'm calling it digital IT. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the word robotics process automation uh, is becoming very, um, is becoming, it's, it's talked about a lot these yeah. days. And, you know, whether it is looking at all the events that the machines are generating or with that's the amount of standardization as you're replicating servers around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there is a lot of opportunity around digital IT and and process automation in general that we would be looking at next awesome. year. All right, good. And let's also talk about talent because acquiring and retaining talent is always in the top three of what CIOs are thinking about. And uh, you said you mentioned that you were telling your team the other day, you're so busy trying to make sure the digital journeys of your dentists and your patients are going well, but it's also important to have some internal focus on your own digitizing and scaling. So um, talk about uh, talk about how you attract talent and how you also make sure that the kind of tools and the internal workings for IT at Align are just as exciting as they are for your customers. Right. You know, so that's that's a big selling point for us mm-hmm. uh, in attracting talent. And, you know, we like to still keep ourselves nimble, so small teams, small agile teams, um, tons of transformation work, no matter which function you look at. Uh. And the company, because innovation is in the DNA and it's technology that is trying to adapt uh, to enable that rapid scaling, 
um, there's opportunity for all different kinds of skill sets. And, you know, because we, we have a learning culture and we also have a growth mindset, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very attractive for talent um, to look at a line in the middle of every other company that is equally attractive to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's so we, we try to create that sort of an advantage around, um, you know, how we can enable and how we can um, how adaptable the talent is. We look at multidisciplinary skills, which mm-hmm. I think is, is very important. While there is room for specialized skills, uh, the the kind of skills that we allow people to develop, you know, they might start off in an area um, in, in a particular technology, but the ability for them to to grow laterally and to learn different technologies mm-hmm. um, and to grow with the company is is huge. And we actually encourage that. Like I'm a prime example of someone you know, who started off in product development, engineering, mm-hmm. and moved on to business operations, you know, running IT. And, you know, those are those are all the opportunities that that, that we that just allow for talent growth. Mm-hmm. And and that's how we we can attract talent. Yes. How and we have a very huge leadership to allow that to happen too. Do you have you also have intern programs or things you do directly with colleges to bring in uh, the brand new talent? Uh, so we have an intern program. So I usually summertime is the best time to, to get a lot of interns. Yes. Uh, we put them in a lot of emerging technologies. We put them in lots of areas where, you know, we can experiment and it's okay to fail mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and and learn from the speed at which the millennials come in. And, and it's also a good way to learn about what they expect in a workforce and in a workplace. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, there's just just a lot of benefits of having a good intern program, yeah. and 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 we work really well in IT yes. to get a lot of good interns. Um, or you know, while they are developing their own skills, yeah. we are also uh, learning a lot from them. Well, CIOs always, uh, the ones I talk to always seem very interested in uh, these, uh, the attitudes and the mindsets of the yeah. millennial developers and, you know, these young people in their early 20s coming in. What are some of the things as a uh, as a manager and a, a leader inside the company, what do you notice about the millennial talent in terms of the areas they're interested in, The what keeps them engaged? What have, what have you right. learned from watching them? You know, the interesting part is, so they are all very aware, and I think this is where the colleges are doing a good job about mm-hmm. integrating digital technologies into the curriculum. Mm-hmm. So in the emerging technology space, they are all well-worth. You know, they talk about automated deployments the time they walk in. Yeah. You know, when you say you have manual configurations, they look at us like we are ancient. <laughs> you know? It's uh, like asking, and, asking them to use a handset instead of a yeah. uh, cell phone. Yeah, so when it comes to, like, voice, data science, vision, you know, any... Any of the the engagement experiences, mm-hmm. they're all like really like it just comes very naturally to them. Okay. Uh, the part that where we really struggle with talent in general is, you know, in enterprise technologies, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not trained on Salesforce, you're not mm-hmm. trained on SAP. Um, you know, identity management, like even if it's a homegrown system on open source platforms, mm-hmm. is something that you have to train um, train engineers on. Yes. So. Um, so I think part of it is just making sure that um, the, the from a growth mindset and the learning mindset that they are able to uh, bring the newer technology space and we somehow build a um, uh, build a workforce that is available for rest of the enterprise and platform technologies. Okay. 
Um, excellent. Great answer. And my, um, my last question for you, well, as we wrap up here, will be when you think about the IT organization of the future and the sort of skill sets that CIOs are looking for now and the sort of the, the way the labor will divide up, um, what, are the, what are the most important skills that you think that young IT professionals can bring into the ones who are, you know, maybe watching and listening to this and thinking, I'd like to be a CIO someday. Uh, what are some of the skill sets that we need in that future IT organization as we roll forward? Because transformation is never going to end and change management is never going to be resolved. It's, it's just sort of a rolling forward transformation. Right. You know, like, um, you know, as much as technology skills are important, I think it's the, you can train them on it, right? You can teach mm -hmm. them, you know, how to write algorithms and data science and, you know, platform tech, how to configure platforms. The, the biggest uh, thing that they have to have is adaptability. You know, like when you're looking at multidisciplinary skills as what is going to take you to the next level, you want to be so, like, you know, Today I'm on working on this technology. Tomorrow I'm going to be working on that part of the business. And day after tomorrow, it's going to be something else. I mean, it's just that the technology innovation is so, um, the pace at which it's moving, mm -hmm. the adaptability is so important. And the change management of your own personal career yeah. is also equally important. And it's never going to be one thing. Like, yeah. I think when we started off, it was like, mm -hmm. oh, if I knew enterprise systems, you know, I could become a CIO. Or if I was more customer facing, I could become a CIO. Mm -hmm. Today, you have to know technology. Like, I cannot be in this job if I didn't know technology enough. Right. And I also have to understand the business strategy enough to figure out how technology can enable that. And to me, technology is so broad these days mm -hmm. that you know, the consumer technologies are very different from security technologies, very different from yeah. enterprise technologies. And, and you know, like in, the, in a company, everybody knows IT, like everybody knows technology these days. They think so they do because of the phone in their hand. They, everybody yeah, thinks no. they could be a CIO. Right. And you just have to be better at it, better than everyone else in all <laughs> aspects, which means you have to be really adaptable yeah. and really embrace change as it comes along. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, I think that's a wonderful answer, and it's been terrific talking, you, talking to you today, Sri. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. This has been fun. Yes, yes. Well, I told you it would be. You know, everybody right. comes into this a little nervous. So it's like it's just a conversation. Right. <laughs> okay. So if you're joining us late and you want to watch this full episode, you can find it posted tomorrow at CIO.com. And the audio podcast from my conversation with Sri uh, Coley will be available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And I hope you will plan on joining us for our next episode of CIO Leadership Live, which will be on Monday, October 29th at 1 p.m. Eastern. And I'll be joined by Basque Iyer, who is the CIO of VMware. So thank you very much for joining us today, and we'll see you again next time.